Coming up on this episode, author Tara Lane and Eli Easton are here to talk about their collaboration on the Nerds vs. Jocks series. Welcome to episode 310 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Jeff Adams, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. Welcome back, Rainbow Romance readers. We are so glad that you could join us for another episode. As always, the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. Thank you to Richard for recently joining the community. If you'd like more information about the bonus content we offer our patrons, go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. We also want to remind our patrons that Pride Month, of course, is right around the corner, and we would love to send you a special card to celebrate the month. You could check out our post on Patreon that has all the information you need to claim a card for yourself. Please let us know by May 31st if you'd like one. And speaking of Pride, the FX Network is helping to get everyone into the Pride spirit with a new six-part documentary that they actually premiered last week, which is simply called Pride. Now, each of the episodes looks at a specific decade from the 1950s up into the 2000s to highlight some of the most celebrated LGBTQ milestones and trailblazers, along with shining the light on some lesser-known pivotal moments. Among some of the series' highlights are looking at the pre-Stonewall 1960s and the activism that was already taking place during the decade. The episode on the 70s looks at the first gay pride march, as well as poet Audre Lorde. Jumping into the 90s, the focus shifts to the culture wars and the galvanizing of LGBTQ people to create organizations to fight back against oppression. And the series wraps up with the first decade of the 21st century, when there was even more visibility and acceptance while the struggle for basic rights continued. The episodes covering the 80s, 90s, and 2000s air this Friday, May 21st on FX at 8 p.m. Eastern. And if you miss any of this series, you can find it on demand through your TV provider or on Hulu. Now, before we jump into this week's author interview, you've got a book to tell us all about. I absolutely do. Since Eli and Tara are here this week, I thought I would go ahead and review the second book in the Nerds vs. Jocks series. So, you know, back in 302, I told you how much I enjoyed Schooling the Jock. And now I could tell you that Coaching the Nerd, which is the second book in this series, is just as wonderful as the first. Coaching the Nerd features two wonderfully complex characters who subvert some of the norms we usually see in books that feature nerds and jocks. The setup is the same as the first book and actually runs along the same timeline. As you may recall, there's a prank that goes down and it has pushed the dean of students too far and now these rival frat houses have to work together or their houses are going to be disbanded. This book focuses on the nerd from the SMU house who has to be part of the ALA's flag football team. Now, interestingly, Sean very eagerly volunteers to leave the quiz bowl team and go over and play football. His fellow nerds are really shocked by this, but glad that somebody has volunteered for the duty. Football, you see, fits within Sean's plan, though. He wants a makeover. He wants to improve his body with the ultimate goal of securing a date and finally losing his virginity before he graduates. It is his New Year's resolution, and he sees this as the change to make it happen. Now, that first flag football practice is not a good one. While Sean understands the basic rules, because, of course, he's read up on them, the teams aren't clearly defined, he doesn't know which team he's actually on, and he's also very much not in shape. Enter Bubba, who happens to be one of the jocks, who is a phys ed major, and who also wants to be a personal trainer. He offers to train Sean to get in shape and teach him how to play football, because, of course, Bubba wants his house to succeed and not end up disbanded. Plus, it's also going to give him practical experience at being a trainer. 
Sean is very excited for this help. These two make such an unlikely and interesting pair. You've got super thin, flaming redhead, super smart, always speaking his mind, Sean, and then the hulking jock who is much more likely to keep his opinion to himself because he's always been told that he is not bright. Sean's also attracted to Bubba from the start. Bubba, however, can't quite figure out why he likes Sean so much because he's always thought he was at least mostly straight. And it turns out that Bubba discovers he's actually a lot more bi than he ever considered himself. Sean's also not the only one getting a makeover. Sean helps Bubba get out from years of hearing that he wasn't smart enough to amount to much. Bubba's dad expects him to ditch school, or at least just barely squeak by, and then come back and work in the family's garage as a mechanic. What Bubba wants is to be a physical therapist, and it's Sean who helps him see that he is more than the expectations that his family and hometown have put on him. Sean and Bubba are so good for each other. They have quite different perspectives that help the other see beyond the box that they have put themselves in. Bubba helps Sean realize that he can be athletic and desirable, whereas Sean shows Bubba that he is really quite smart and pursue the dreams that he wants. Along the way, they discover that they've got definite feelings for each other, too. It's so adorable how Bubba realizes he's got serious feels for Sean as he sends Sean off with another guy while they're at their party. Bubba really wants Sean to be able to fulfill what he wants to do and lose his virginity, but then he realizes he's not at all happy that that might not happen with him. The buildup these two had made me say, aw, just way too often. As with School in the Jock, the parents play a lot into this story as well. I'll say right now that Sean's parents are dicks, and I loved how he put them in their place by the end of the story. Bubba's dad, on the other hand, is very interesting and far more than he seems the first time we meet him. And it makes for a great side plot in this book. And you'll hear more about that in the interview that's coming up. This series continues to delight me. Bubba and Sean are very different from Dobbs and Jesse in book one. But their story is just as wonderful as these two fight for their HEA, while also breaking away from some of the preconceived notions that they have about themselves and that others have heaped on them. Eli and Tara have built really wonderful, relatively low angst romances in this series. I can't wait to dig into Head to Head next to see what's happening with the two guys who are the heads of the frat houses who really hate each other. So somehow they're going to have to fight their way from enemies to lovers. So as with the first book, I, I wholeheartedly recommend Coaching the Nerd from Eli and Tara. And with that, we can get right into the interview. It was so wonderful to talk to Tara and Eli about this series, which is the first time that either one of them has collaborated with another author. We talk about what brought them together, this series, how they came up with these wonderful characters, and what's going to be coming up in that third book. Eli and Tara, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thanks for inviting me. Excited. Well, you know, I had to have you here because Schooling the Jock, absolutely one of my favorite books of the year so far, and Dobbs and Jesse so much are in the lexicon now of my favorite couples. Before we kind of get into the series and the books, let's talk about what brought you two together to collaborate, because this is the first co-write for either of you. Right. So how did yeah. this, you know, what was the origin to bring all this together? I was talking to another well-known author about collaborating and it's somebody who collaborates a lot and I have never have, and we're friends and so we were talking about doing a series together and kind of came up with the idea of nerds versus jocks. And then 
she actually had to pull out because she was just too overbooked. So I thought about doing it on my own, but I really have been wanting to try a collaboration. And so the person I thought of was Tara, because I love her books. And I think she and I have a lot of commonalities in our work. You know, she's, you know, more plot driven, character driven, a lot of kind of quirkiness and humor. And so I, I pinged her and I just said, would you be interested in collaborating on something? And explained the, the general idea. And yeah, so she, fortunately she agreed. I mean, at, the, at, at first we were kind of like, well, let's just try a few chapters and see how it goes. And we can always just pull out if it's not working. And I think by the end of chapter two, we both felt it was really going to work. Yeah. Now, Eli and I have been friends for, for a long time, and I've been a huge admirer of her books, and and we and, and I've always kind of noticed that common commonality that she's talking about, that that we both um, have a lot of, of character, a certain kind of lightness and sweetness while still diving deep into the characters, and of course, a lot of humor. So the idea of doing something that was really rom-com trope driven, but then still getting to do deeper characters was really a fun, a fun idea. But I had no idea how the idea of co-authoring was going to work because I mean, I think I, I think I'm on book 57 or something and all of them have been written alone. And it was like, and so I think I took a couple of days. I was like, oh gosh, I don't think I should do this. We started talking about it right before Christmas, right? It was like, Thanksgiving, I think, when we started talking about it. And I was like, oh, I've got so much to do, so many books to write, so much, so many books, so little time. And and then I I guess it was probably a day later, and I was talking to my husband about it, and it would be fun and what a good idea. And I just thought, I woke up in the morning and thought, don't be stupid. You've got to try this. And I called her and said, Yeah, I'm in. Count me in. It really came together fast then if you were talking about this at Thanksgiving because this first book was out fairly early this year. February. <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was a challenge. Yeah. I think that's one of the things. We wrote both the first two books in about a month. Yes. A month, and, a month apiece. Yeah. And so that was one of the things that I was really hoping to get out of a collaboration is, you know, I think when you're writing by yourself, especially with Tara said, I'm almost at my 50th book now. And you know, it's like, if you're just not feeling it on a certain day, it's like, well, maybe I'll write 500 words and then dink around and then maybe I'll give up. But, you know, but when you have another partner on the other end, who's waiting on that chapter, you know, to do their part, you, you feel a lot more responsible. It's like when you're going to meet somebody in the morning to go walking, you know, you've got to be there. So I think it, it really kind of powered us through on those first two books, which was one of the things I was hoping to get out of a collaboration. And I've, I've talked to people who collaborate all the time and, and sometimes really successful collaborations are in different time zones, you know, so that one is sleeping while the other is, is writing, but we're in the same time zone. So we were like, so how's that going to work? You know, can, can we really go fast when we're actually uh, writing every other day, which is pretty, you know, we were responsible for writing a chapter every other day. And it went so fast. And I loved, I, Eli described it perfectly. And I, I will tell you what she said. She said, it eliminates the fear of the blank page. And, and it was because you've always got something in front of you. You know, you've always mm-hmm. got what the other person wrote to inspire you and to push you along and, and to get you going on the next chapter. 
And that really did propel us forward. Yeah, it's kind of like that game where you go around and you tell a story and like somebody says something and then the next person, you know, it was, it's just, it is inspiring to just riff off what somebody else has done. And it, it just puts ideas in your head. And so it's, it's much easier to sit down and start writing. I think. I, one of the questions that you mentioned to us, Jeff, was how did we do it? How did, how did we uh, you know, separate the book? How did we assign it? And we literally each took, we took a house and we took a character. It turned out that we took a house. We started out taking a character and then it ended up that we stayed with the same house through the whole, the whole three book series. And th- so each of us would kind of be responsible for writing the, the chapter in that character's point of view. But then it went to the next the next writer who who was also writing that same character, obviously, in the next chapter. So so the character kept getting deeper and new additions. And then we would also edit each other's work. So so that was how we um, smoothed it, smoothed it out and made it seem uh, seamless. And I know you actually mentioned in the book who wrote what. And Eli turned out to be the geek and, and Tara, you, you became the jock. Did it just happen that way? Or did you go, I want this character and I want this character? Yeah. The first, I, we were, the first book. Yeah. We, uh, on the first one. Mm-hmm. We, we sort of went back and forth, but you know, Tara had done a whole series of football jocks and, you know, some of my most popular characters were from like blame it on the mistletoe. And, you know, I, I just tend to really write good nerds. And so we just decided to go that way on book one and then on book two, it's like, well, let's just keep going because it seems to work. Right. Um, I, I had had to learn a lot about football and, and Eli said, you get to do the football. <laughs> and I think the other thing that that probably in terms of process that Tara didn't mention is that, you know, during the books, we would have three or four calls where we would just be on the phone for a couple hours working out the plot line. Like, what about you know, Rand's family, what is his father really like? What is his motivation? You know, how does that going to lead to the crisis moment? And so the plot was something that we went back and forth with on the phone, just sort of brainstorming, you know, and it's just like, no, I don't like that. How about this? And, you know, just, just kind of knocking it out until we got to a point where we were like, yeah, that's the plot, you know, this is it. And so that, in that sense, both, you know, both the character arcs and the Christ, you know, the basic plot flow and the crisis points were really a collaborative effort, even though we were each writing a chapter, you know, we both had agreed on what that character's arc was and what their relationship was with the, with the, with the family and, and all that. Did you have that as you started or did you pants your way through the majority of the plot? How did, how much did you know going into the writing and how much kind of manifested as you went? We, we kind of mapped out the story and the kind of guys that they were in a general sort of way, but then we let them evolve on the page. And then not only based upon the person who was quote writing that character, but, but on both of us, and then also in the way that we edited each other's chapters after the after the chapter was done, it would go on to the to the co-author. The co-author would edit that chapter and write the next chapter. And so we were constantly adding and and commenting on each other's work, always with the idea that the author who was ultimately responsible for that character had the final say. I tend to write this way with all my books is. I'm sort of a mix of a pantser and plotter. It's like, I have to have enough material in my, I have to have enough of the idea of what the story is 
to really begin, but I, I never know the whole whole thing. And then I'll write for a couple chapters and then I have to stop again and think about like, where am I going? And so we kind of, we did that a lot. I mean, I think like we, you know, we, we got started on the third book, for example, we kind of knew it was the, the first few chapters would happen at the Quiz Bowl final. And in that book particularly, we really sort of, the plot really evolved as we went. And so we had to go back and do a really hard edit pass because a lot of the first few cha- the first chapters were not in line with what the plot ended up being exactly. Yeah, the third the third book was a wonderful mystery until we got to it. <laughs> the only, literally, the only thing we knew going through the whole arc of the of the series was that these two people hated each other. They hated, and each that's other. clear and, very early, right? <laughs> and you can see that on the page, right? And we and we knew that, and we manifested that on the page, and we got to book three, and it was like but we don't have any idea why. <laughs> we didn't know why they hated each other. So uh, we had to come up with a whole story that explained why they hated each other. And for people who haven't dove into the series yet, it basically all starts because of a frat prank gone wrong to the point of almost burning down one of these houses. Now, Eli, you mentioned you came to the table with the idea of nerds versus jocks. But where did the idea to have this frat prank go wrong come up from? What inspired that? Well, the nerds versus jock thing, you know, I, I've, like I said, some of my more popular books have been sending on college campuses. And so the idea of two rival frat houses was a bit, was pretty much the germ seed of the, of the series. But then, you know, you could have gone any, any number of different ways, like, one idea was to have each book be a different moment in time, like in the 80s when these two houses were fighting and then in the, you know, the 90s. And so that kind of got trashed. Uh, another one was just to have the series be these continuing pranks. Right. So the idea of actually having the dean step in, you know, the very beginning of book one, these houses have been fighting forever. And the dean finally steps in because of this one particularly bad prank. But it's not the first one. It's like the, you know. 300th prank they pulled on each other it just happens to be have a really terrible consequence so the dean steps in and forces the two houses to basically swap team members for their for their uh, their beloved quiz bowl and flag football so that forcing them to work together with the idea being that maybe they would finally get over their their hatred of each other so that uh, was that that was kind of there when you stepped in i think tara but we didn't really at that point know who the characters were or what we were going to do with that or, you know. No, I mean, we hadn't named the characters or really defined them, but Eli came with the idea that it was two two houses, that they had been rivals forever, that they had done terrible things to each other, and that the dean had had it. So that was already there when we started talking about the series. And then then everything from there was blank, but but we knew that we knew that much, which was a lot. Obviously, that was a that was a, a huge amount to to hold the whole thing together. Mm-hmm. But I knew nothing about quiz bowl at that point or flag football. So <laughs> or flag football, we we did a lot of research on those those two things. You had to have because they're so integral to how it works. Because it's not just quiz bowl within the school, and not just flag football in the school. These are competitive. Quiz ball and flag football teams that are going out and, you know, headed towards state and potentially national titles. And quiz bowl is, is very much a thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. quiz bowl has a, 
It has a you know national structure. It's very popular. People we suspected that there could be people who would read the books who would know a lot about Quiz Bowl. So we had to stay at least somewhat true to to the actual facts of it. Now, flag football is not so much. It's it's a much more kind of campus to campus kind of activity. So there, while there are, I mean, there's even a, a national NFL flag football team. So there's very specific rules and that sort of thing. But as far as when there was a tournament and who they would be, you know, playing against and that, that wasn't so delineated. So we could make that up. And that that was good because we could fit it around Quiz Bowl. Mm-hmm. And the timelines are key here, especially in the first two books, because schooling the jock and coaching the nerd are very much intertwined as the Quiz Bowl competition season is going on and they're headed towards a flag football tournament as well. How did that manifest itself for you in writing these two books, like managing timelines between them and knowing things that you seeded in book one could have repercussions in book two? I I initially, you know, was trying to be, when I was, when I thought about the series, I thought it would be really clever to get really like inception with it and really have all these (laughs) interlocking events that, like you might come across two characters talking and then you wouldn't find out what they were saying until the next book. And, and I think we, it kind of, it ended up being, you know, not that complicated. I mean, I think we have a few scenes in book one where, you know, Sean, who's, who's in the book, who's the, the nerd in book two is really sore. And, you know, Dobbs is worried about him because he's been training with Bubba, you know, and there's a, I think there's another scene where you see Rand and Jack's having some kind of argument in the distance, but we really didn't get that involved with it we have a few scenes and then when we went to book two it was actually a challenge because we had to make sure that book two actually fit you know what had happened in book one you know we had this timeline laid out and it actually got us into a little bit of trouble because given what was happening with Sean and Bubba's story you know we wanted them to come out sooner rather than later in the in the year and so we had to kind of push that right up against when Jesse and Dobbs came came out because it it actually happens on the same weekend because we couldn't just, we just couldn't push it back any earlier or push it back any later. So um, let's say that relationships got hurried a little bit from time <laughs> to time because, because we didn't have enough time between events for them to, to get to know each other any better, things like that. Let's talk about the characters a little bit, starting with schooling the jock. One of the things that I was so endeared here and really found different than at least most of the books that I've read that involve the the nerds and the geeks is that Dobbs is very much alpha. You know, he's in a frat, he's he's king of what he does, and he's very confident and kind of a good foil for Jesse, who, you know, is also the football jock and is very determined in school. And they butt heads really well because nobody wants to back down. How did you develop these characters? I actually, I think it would be fair to say that none of our nerds are 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 betas. I think they're all alphas. Would would you agree, Eli? Wouldn't you say all three of them are of the nerds? Yeah, I mean, I think probably Jax Jax. is least, just because Jax is very laid back. He's um, laid back, but still, but he doesn't take shit from Rand. I mean, no, he, he, he Rand can spark him like that, and he's back back at his throat. So. I think for me, like 
probably one of the key character, you know, for Dobbs, it was just, we wanted somebody with a smart mouth because we wanted a lot of fun dialogue. So we call him uh, Mickey Mouth. Mickey Mouth. Mickey Mouth. Is what <laughs> Jesse calls him. Among other things, has, yeah. Has like so much sass. For Jesse, you know, you know, he was, he's basically, we knew he'd be closeted. And for me, you know, in this day and age, if I'm gonna, if we're going to write a, a closeted character, there has to be something unique there. You know, it can't just be, you know, he's afraid to come out because he's a football guy. You know, it's just it's just overdone. So that really led to, you know, finding a reason that was unique. And that led back to his family and his concern for his family. And, you know, this pressure that he was under to always to, to never take any of his family's attention because of his younger brothers were so demanding of attention. And so, it, you know, but in a very sympathetic way. So I, I think for me, it's just it's just important to find those unique twists so that it's not like, you know, there's just there's so many gay romance books. You know, I always want to find that's that's some unique twist that is not a character I've read before. And in, in some ways, because Jesse is closeted and, and for the reasons that he is so protective of his family, I Dobbs is in some ways more alpha than he is. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. he's certainly an alpha character in the sense that he's a he's a jock and he's a, a football star and all of that. But he's somewhat shy. You know, he's he's a lot more reticent than Dobbs, who is very forthcoming. So uh, the tables even get turned there a bit. Well, that's what I liked in the book, too, because the tables kept turning as they learned more about each other and seeing more of family situation. They both learned so much and ended up and grew so much. I mean, that's what you want out of a romance, obviously, not just to get the HEA, but to really watch the characters bloom in a new way. Yeah, it, it, just... was, it was fun having Quiz Bowl as even though some people were like, oh, my God, those Quiz Bowl you know, questions. But it was fun having that framework to kind of drape their getting to know each other over. You know, we didn't have to make up artificial reasons for them to be together. You know, they really, really had a reason. And so that was, you know, that was a good excuse. It was a really good reason to bring them together. Mm -hmm. well, what you said, Jeff, about them each, you know, I think all the characters in, in all three books really do grow a lot and, mm -hmm. and learn a lot about themselves. And I think that's the nice thing about college age is that, you know, they are at that age where, you know, they're still sort of transitioning from from family to being an adult and from figuring out who they are and, you know, what they really want in life. So it's a good age for that. And family plays a huge role in all three of, of the books, really a lot. I think more than we even anticipated yeah, would be the case at, at the, when we started the series. It's really interesting as you bring up family, because there's not only the found family sort of elements that you get with the two frat houses and then how each of our main characters in the books gets a little more family as it extends out to the people that they are now connected to because of who they have fallen for. But the families that we get to see, both with Hedgehogs in Coaching the Nerd and with Jesse's in Schooling the Jock, play so much into the story too. It was really nice to see. And in the case of you know, Schooling the Jock, it was a really amazing family scene and then coaching the nerd we kind of got the anti of what was going on over there right. a little bit too yeah and, yeah, and, and i think we both it, feel too is that you know when you have those characters like even in book three you know the the there's a father that's kind of a villain character but even then i mean even and with sean's parents you don't want something that's just black and white i mean you know you have to have you know real nuance there in terms of 
you know, they, they obviously want the best for their kids and, you know, there's, there's love there in the family, even if it is dysfunctional, you know? Yeah. And, and you'll see uh, when you, when you get to read head to head family, their huge role, I mean, really enormous in, in terms of uh, Rand's motivation. And he does have a, he has a somewhat negative quality to him, but, but again, he has a lot of, a lot of elements. He's a very important character, the father. Rand's father is a very important character in, in book three. I don't want to shortchange Bubba and Hedgehog in Coaching the Nerd. Their story intrigued me not only because I, I think they're even more opposites in a lot of ways than Jesse and Dobbs were, yeah. but they also essentially give each other makeovers through the story, <laughs> which is so amazing. They're very different makeovers, but they're still makeovers nonetheless. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about their story and, and how they, you know, kind of came into being in your head. Well, I, I love the whole My Fair Lady trope, you know, ha- having that ugly duckling character that's is transformed and that's always fun to play with. So Sean in book two is, I, I think it's really fun that, you know, in book one, when he volunteers to be in the flag team, you know, the whole nerd house is just like, oh my God, this is like the biggest nerd that they're in our entire house, the most like lip noodle you know unathletic person and he's volunteered to do this but so he's got a long way to go wildly self-confident at the same time you know so yeah I mean he's he's very determined you know he's just like he knows what he wants and he's gonna go out you know he's 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 funny but yeah so he he ends up uh, in book two he's being trained by Bubba who is uh, also introduced in book one he's he's one of the the jock house guys who's not the brightest bulb in the, in the pack. Well, mm, sort yeah, of. Exactly, sort of. That's kind of the thing with both of them. It's both, they could so easily have been caricatures, but it's only sort of, you know, that they are that way, the way that you expect them to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I loved Bubba. I think we both kind of went, we both glommed on to the character that we wanted in that book. And that happened to continue us with the house that we had been in. And that that proved to be a self-fulfilling prophecy because each of us were creating the houses that that our characters were in as well and who the other characters were and that sort of thing. So we ended up uh, uh, staying with our with our house all the way through. But but Bubba um, was one of those guys that really could have been just a cipher. You know, he just could have been such a, a caricature. And because uh, Sean was going to get his makeover, it was like we wanted Bubba to have his as well, maybe on a slightly more subtle, subtle level. But because he's been told he was dumb his whole life, he believes it. He's already risen above that self-image a lot, but he has much further to go. And it's because of Sean that he's able to, to finally do that. So, so they both make each other over. I think in any romance, you know, I try to think about what is this character's arc for each character? You know, what what do they need and how does this other person help them get there? You know, how does this other person help them fulfill themselves? Because to me, that's, that's, that's key to the romance. It's not just, you know, oh, you're really attractive and I want to have sex with you. You know, it's not a very deep romance book. Right. <laughs> um, it's, it's, you know, where is this character going and, and, you know, how does this other person fulfill them as a human being? You know, how do they fit together? And so, you know, for Sean and Bubba, obviously, you know, what Bubba needed was to find confidence 
in his intelligence. And so, you know, uh-huh. Sean figured out, figure out how Sean could help him do that. Interesting, because one of the ways that I tend to start with characters is how can these two characters create conflict with each other? You know, it's, it's like, how can who they are at this point in time rub up against the other one and create friction and sparks and, 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 and conflict? And then, and Eli's focus is so much on how do they fit together? How do these pieces go together? So that was great because I was constantly saying, okay, but we need more conflict here. Okay, let's make, and then, oh no, but we need to, we need to understand how they go together, how they make a perfect couple. And so we were constantly adding kind of those dimensions to, to our characters. Something you did in Coaching the Nerd too that I really liked, you subvert a lot of expectations around Bubba's father. And I'm not going to give away what goes down there because it's so amazing. But that was like a 180 that, you know, it, it, it's so, it's minor to the story in so many ways, but yet it's also significant there too. And it was really brilliant to see how that kind of manifested itself and what that did for him. Is that one of those happy accidents you discovered along the way? Or was that kind of a, you knew that was going to happen there? The father definitely unveiled himself to us as as we went along in the story. And we knew that he was going to be one of the influences on Bubba and that it would be one of the influences that made him doubt himself, right? But but then we, we grew to understand him and to know that he didn't really, he didn't do that out of meanness. He did it in a sense, out of love, out of, out of not wanting Bubba to not get above himself, to not have too great expectations and be, you know, terribly disappointed. And, and then we, as he revealed who he was, we, that part of his particular story unfolded. We discussed that, you know, it's like every time I got back a chapter where the father was involved, or I think there was an early phone call where he was really mean. And then the Bubba goes home for the first time of the weekend. And then the, that scene where he goes back and has that conversation with his father. And every time I got those chapters, I just was like, yeah, <laughs> okay, that's great. You know, <laughs> I love the conflict. I mean, Kara's great at conflict. So we, you know, it just, it just worked. I mean, I think we, we did discuss after she wrote that last chapter, like, are people really going to buy this? That yes. you know, the father. I mean, that was a really big question, and, and and to some degree, it's still a question. I mean, I think there are some people who are like eh, didn't like that part, but then there are other people like like you were saying, Jeff, who loved it. You know, so it 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 just felt right. It felt it, it felt like it wasn't a reach. Like this was the guy who ultimately emerged from the page, and that uh, we could we could put that piece of the story in. I didn't think two two ways about it. It's like, oh, that's really nice. That's a good thing. That was exactly my thought about it. <laughs> so the third book, which we've hinted at a little bit so far, comes out on May 25th. It's called Head to Head. And you've got the guys here who lead these frat houses. What can you tell us about Rand and Jax's story as they fight their way somehow to an HEA that I just can't picture in my head yet? Yeah. <laughs> These guys hate each other so much mm. in book one and two. Yeah, like yeah, you can't yeah. even mention Rand to, to Jax without him kind of bugging out. And the funny thing is that Jax is so laid back about everything, but not Rand. You know, it's like he's the one exception to the rule. Yeah, I mean, so the, the book takes place, most of it takes place in the week before. The, so the Quiz Bowl final is in Philadelphia on one weekend and everybody's there. 
And then there's a week before the flag football final uh, in, is it Omaha? We just in, uh, uh, yes, in, uh, in Omaha. Omaha. I think it is. Like, yeah, we discussed different <laughs> geography played a huge <laughs> role in this yeah. book. <laughs> so, the, so then like one week work. later, and both Rand and Jax just happened to have decided independently that they were going to drive between these events and take that week off because it's the week before graduation. And then they end up, you know, Jax's car breaks down and, and Rand has to rescue him. So there's, there's basically the most of the story takes place in this one week between the quiz bowl final and the flag football final when the two of them are in forced proximity. And, um, and actually, but then there's a fair amount that goes on yeah. after that. Uh, we, we did end up carrying the story on further, I think, than we had originally anticipated. Yeah. yeah. But, the, but the main bulk of when they, when the romance happens is in this right. period of time. Right. So, and we knew um, that much. We knew that early yeah. that, 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 that was going to be the case, that their story, whatever the heck it was, was going <laughs> to happen in that week. But we didn't know what it was. Right. We didn't have any idea. And I, there's some fun elements that came in. I think it's almost like a, a royalty story. You know, we sort of figured out, I mean, we always knew from book one and two that Rand's family was wealthy, right? but we really didn't get into details about it. And then when we were trying to figure out the plot for the third book, we, we figured out that his father was actually a billionaire who owned this oil empire. You know, basically he He's a, he's a fracker. I mean, he, he's, he's a fracker. He's they have more than that. They, have oil, they do oil drilling and everything, but, the, you know, but they also do fracking. So, and of course that would be anathema to Jax, who's very, you know, comes from a vegan household. He's very environmentally conscious. And, but, you know, but Rand, you know, being this billionaire son, he's sort of like American royalty, you know, and that, so there's a sort of a prince vibe to the story. Mm-hmm which was kind of fun that developed. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's a lot of conflict and then, and there's a big twist in there about like finally figure out why Rand hates Jack so much. So that was fun. And that's a fun moment. Yeah. That that's a definite fun moment. And it doesn't happen terribly far into the story. It's, it's fairly early that they finally get why they hate each other. And, and then they work, have to work it out, but but it, but that's just interesting how you phrase that and they, they figure out why they hate each other as if they really didn't know, but they keep up the, the appearance of hating each but, other. But, but one of the twists of the story is that to some degree, they don't There is know. a real reason. That, yeah. You know, that, that there is a real reason why they hate each other and they honestly don't know what that reason is. Wow. I can't and, wait to read Yeah, I mean, they, they, at the beginning of the book, neither one of them could really explain they think they could you know they think they could outline all the things that the other has done to them by just existing if you will that would that 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 you know that makes them hate the the, the other person but truthfully i mean it's so against jack's nature as you learn who he is it's it's completely anathema to him to hate anybody you know and the fact that he just he just loathes this man and the fact that Rand, he hates Jax on sight. And he's never analyzed why. He doesn't know why. He's he's hated him since the first moment he ever saw him. And he could pro- he could give you lots of reasons, but it takes a while for them to figure out what the real reason is. I have to say I like what you did with Rand too, because there's another, you know, a moment of where you're subverting the expectations because you've got a gay guy as the president of 
the jock frat. I think part of that, of his, of his character, that he is so kind of cool and so much the prince and such royalty that he just, he kind of shines out and rises above in any environment and people automatically kind of respect him. Well, you find out in the book that he, you know, he is that perfect blonde country club, you know, I mean, then he was raised that way, very specifically, very specifically. I mean, like to the point where having etiquette classes and like he was, he was groomed to be that. So, you know, it's almost like, even though you're gay, you know, you have, and, and even with his father, who is not at all a liberal person, you know, he's sort of like come to accept that get brand is gay, but then he has all these other, you know, well, if you're going to be that, then X, Y, and Z, you know. Right. And, and, and we, we get to see pretty early on also that Rand is very much the sort of manifestation of his dad's idea of perfection. And so living the way he has always his not very many years on the planet, 21, he, he has always kind of manifested that, but that might or might not be who he really is. So head to head, is that the end of the series or might you do more in this universe? Well, <laughs> we're, we're talking, we're definitely talking about, about doing more. We originally conceived it as a three book arc and and there, there's no doubt that head to head does, you know, kind of tie things up, but there are still characters whose story hasn't been told. So we're still, we're, we're definitely talking about that. Yeah. We're talking about maybe doing one more in this series. There are, there is another couple that we've been sort of setting up. And the funny thing is, this is like the gay romance problem is that, you know, we initially when we laid out like all the different characters in each house, we wanted lots of heterosexual sexual characters because right. we didn't want them all to be gay we right? all be gay right so we set up some really good side characters that were definitely heterosexual like felix who's like a total ladies man but then as the books went on it's like well maybe maybe, maybe he's not maybe he could have a you know change of heart so and we've talked about doing other things together as well oh, um, fantastic and going on and possibly developing uh, another whole series yes yeah. Yeah, both of us have, we, we write a lot of contemporary, we write a lot of paranormal, we've both written, you know, other, other subgenres that we could, that we could possibly think of doing together. It's great to hear that the, the, the experience has been so good that you would co-write again together, which is, you know, fantastic. Would you co-write, maybe look for other co-writing experiences now that you've got this one under your belt as well? Possibly. So, I mean, definitely. I think that it's, it's taught, like, I saw some things that I was concerned that Tara wouldn't like working with me. I mean, I'm, I'm a very heavy editor, I think. And this is just my, my process. You know, she's tends to more like write linearly from start to finish. Right. And like each chapter is pretty well wrapped up in her mind before she moves on to the next chapter. Me, I'm like all over the place and I, right. I edit really heavily. And I kept saying, look, Tara, I'm editing my chapters <laughs> as heavily as I'm editing your chapters. It's not you. <laughs> It's just no, my I process. Guess, and, and it was, it was, I think I only mentioned it one time and I was like, whoa, hang on just a second. But, but no, I mean, for the most part, um, I, I really appreciated it. And yes, our process, I mean, considering how different our inherent writing processes are, very different. I mean, Eli is, as she says, she can write a scene from the end of the book and write the highlight from the middle and then go back and start the beginning. And, and I can't, 
I, I am a, uh, I am a Lisa Cron writer. I am a wired for story. I got to know what happened in chapter one before I can write chapter two. It's just, that's just the way I, I've always been. And so, so that, you know, which is inherently quite different. And yet we managed to make it work without really any effort. I mean, it, it maybe because each one of us was writing every other chapter, it didn't feel quite as linear to, to Eli as, as it would have, you know, if she had, if I'd forced her to sit down and write my process, I think that would have been great. Well, to finish what we were saying, so I think I would, if I were to write with Carl or somebody else, I'd have to really discuss ahead of time. Like, this, you know, these are the kinds of things I notice that I do when I'm collaborating. And if that's going to bother you, maybe, you know, so you'd have to find the right person, I think. Um, right. It, right. it did work really well with Tara, which was fortunate. Yeah. But in terms of the linear thing, I think just knowing, again, knowing that, you know, if I'm left to my own devices, I kind of float all over the place and like just write, because I'm usually, I'm concerned about getting my, in my words for the day. So if I just happen to have in my mind, well, I know I'm going to write this scene and I already know what that's going to be in that scene. So I might go write that. But knowing that Tara was waiting on me and that, you know, right. she needed that next chapter, it kind of helped discipline me, I think, to, to right. sit down and write the next thing, which was good when I want to be, if you will, I'm pretty disciplined. And, and so, yeah, so I was like, okay, let's just keep going. Let's get those chapters done. And, and that forced both of us to stay on track and to not, you know, get, get kind of veering off on, on tangents. We allowed, we allowed plenty of time for both of us to do our stuff, you know, to have our lives. And because I, I actually have another job. I still run an advertising agency three days a week. And so on those days, it's harder for me to get in my words. And so we accommodated that in our schedule. And then Eli has, has days when she has special projects that she's going to work on and she needs to have hours to do that. So we just built that into our writing schedule and just kept going. And yet you still turn these books out in a month, a piece. Yes. It's amazing. Yes. I mean, I think we, we amazed ourselves, quite honestly. But we were writing a full chapter at a time. You know, whereas like if I'm doing my words, I'll write 2000 words, I'll write, you know, a thousand words, I'll write 3000 words, but, but we were doing a chapter. And so it didn't make any difference if the chapter was, was often 3000 words, it was often 3000. So yeah, so maybe, maybe the chapter was 1500 words, but usually it was more like 3500 or occasionally even 4000. So we were, we were leaping ahead, uh, chapter by chapter. For each of you, what are your favorite scenes to write within the entire series? I, I had a, a, a fa favorite scene in uh, Schooling the Jock, which was the scene, interestingly enough, of Jesse's kind of inner monologue after he lets Dobbs down and at the, at the motel. And he disappoints, well, more than disappoints, breaks Dobbs' heart and breaks his own. And, and his, his pattern of thought after that, and then he gets the call from his, his brother, from his little brother, and responds to that. I, I enjoyed writing that scene a lot. I also loved the scene in Coaching the Nerd where they break up. Mm -hmm. And I'm, but why do I love these heartbreak scenes? I don't know. That was, that was one. And then there's, there's a, a definitely a scene in Head to Head where Rand, who 
goes through a lot of inner turmoil in this book. It, it's very much, he, he's very much an unrealized person. Jax is more of a realized person, but but Rand is a work in progress, even though it seems not that way at the beginning of the book. And there's a moment where he gets clear about what's true for him and what he wants his life to be. And it, it was a scene that we knew was coming. And I was kind of revving up to write it. And <laughs> I put my fingers on the keys and it was like it wrote itself. It was just like, boom, there it is. This is, the, this is that scene. And uh, I, I really love that. That was fun. Yeah, the conflict is always fun, right? I agree with Tara there. There's a scene in Head to Head where they're, they go to a carnival. And, you know, part of what Jax brings out, and right when we talked about how what does this one character do that helps this other character like become more of a, more of a full person? And, you know, Jax helps Rand play. And so they go to this carnival and there's this great scene in the, in the fun house, which I won't, I won't spoil, but there's, it's very much sort of a, a hate, you know, clashing slash hot scene. I think the first scene in, in coaching the nerd where Sean's trying to play football, it's just, it was just so much fun to write this character who's just trying to analyze like all, everything about this game, because that's how he, he succeeds. And there's just, he's just completely failing in this thing. Yeah. And then I, I do like the scene where the scenes with the uh, autistic brothers in the first book, schooling the job where Dobbs, you know, can relate to them and, and sort of has some moments of, of bonding I, with them. I thought that I was thought, really critical to their relationship to I thought show that, that scene was so brilliant. I mean, it was so inspired. I mean, the, the, the the, the games she's a she's a game creator anyway you know Eli you know creates games but but the, the creating the games and the, the play on words that you did I mean I just sat there and laughed and thought it was so it was just so clever and utterly creative I loved that scene I thought it was oh, amazing yeah that's nice yeah I just thought it was important because not only because the his brothers are so important to to Jesse but because I, I sort of had this idea of Jesse that he's maybe just a tiny bit on the spectrum because, you know, we know early on that he's very, you know, he comes off as very stuck up, very arrogant, very, you know, sort of. And it's really just because he's, you know, that's the shell. That's the way he relates to the world. because He just he has a hard time with people. So, you know, he's just a tiny bit on the spectrum. Maybe even his brothers really are on the spectrum. So, you know, in a way, Dobbs being able to relate to the brothers and, you know, and and, and sort of draw them out is sort of a, almost a mirroring the way that he can draw out Jesse too. So mm -hmm. that was, that was mirroring. So looking ahead beyond head to head, what's coming up for you both later this year? We're both back to working on our own books right now. And, uh, and both of us are going slightly crazy because we honestly, we honestly, uh, to some degree, we got used to working together. I mean, three books, in four months is, is, is a lot of intense working together. And so we both uh, fell into a, di a slightly different process. And so I, for one, am definitely having to kind of restore my process to write my own book. So yes, so I am in fact working right now on, on I, I, fingers crossed, the third book in my Papillon series, in my uh, Passions of a Papillon, which they're kind of rom-com mystery stories with dog. And so that, that I'm hoping to have come out early in the summer. I had two books. One was uh, A Prairie Dog's Love Song. And the second one was called The Stolen Suitor. It was set in this same small Montana ranching town as A Prairie Dog's Love Song. So I decided, since I'm republishing both those books, I decided to 
make them a series with a third book, which is what I'm working on. So it's, it's, there's a villain in the first two books named Henry Atkins. He's, he's the guy that outed one of the characters as, as being in porn. So he's the one star of the, the third book. And then the other guy is a huge porn star that comes to visit his friend who had been in porn for a while. And so it's the two of these characters in this little Montana cowboy town. So that's, it's a lot of fun to write. It's very um, folksy and kind of bonanza-ish with the dialogue. And so that's we're what still, I'm working on. We're still then. helping each other plot. Yeah. <laughs> brainstorming a bit yeah it's been it's been good so then after that we're both writing a, a book alone and then we're thinking about writing an, a book together right over over the summer in the nvj uh, series possibly a fourth book in in nerd versus jock and then mm-hmm. we'll each do our own christmas book separately and then possibly start a new series together after that or like That's you know exciting. january february time frame now, we always like to get book recommendations when we talk to folks. What's something you've read lately that you would recommend to our listeners? I just finished Better Than People by Rowan Parrish. And I really like that. I, I love her comfort stories. You know, I'm not so much into the like alpha male, you know, super guys. I really like it to read about more normal average guys and especially guys who have some sort of, you know, disability or problem that they need to resolve. So the, the, her book has... One guy has broken his leg and, you know, he's a fairly alpha male kind of guy, but he's, he has all these dogs and he needs somebody to dog walk for him while his leg's broken. And the guy who shows up is this guy who's just like horribly, horribly shy. And so there are romances between them. And I just, I love it. Loved it. I can't say that I read this recently, but I wanted to recommend a a book by an author named Eli Easton. Um, (laughs) That is, that is called How to Walk Like a Man. Her, I mean, I don't have to tell people about the Howl at the Moon series that takes place in Mad Creek. I mean, it's one of the most wildly successful series, I think, in gay romance. But that particular book, which is, I think, the second book in the series, you know, the the second book in the series, touched me so deeply. And I mean, the, the, the fundamental premise of the series is so original. It's so clever. The idea of of dogs who most of us love, right? And of dogs that are so related to the people that they are, that they're with, their their masters, that they, they can't do anything when they lose their master except become human. And which is, is a very poignant idea, but at the same time, a terribly funny idea. And so she, you know, she's got all these dogs in Mad Creek that are, you know, scratching at, you know, and they're humans, you know, but they're, they've got their hind legs going and they're, you know, doing all kinds of one funny dog-like things. But here is a, a, a dog who was a military dog, right? Am I saying the right thing, Eli? He was a, he was a military dog who lost his, his, his master. And he is such a wonderful, dimensional, heartrending and and heartwarming character that I just I, I love that book so much. And I think everybody should read it. Fantastic. Let's tell everybody how they can keep up with you online to get all the latest news, every book that's starting that will be coming out later. I'm lots and lots of places online. But my website, which is very simple, which is just www.taralane, spelled L-A-I-N, uh, dot com. And, and I, I keep, keep it very updated. So all my new books are constantly on there. 
but perhaps more particularly, there is a link on my website to my newsletter. And my newsletter comes out a minimum of two times a month and, and sometimes four times a month, depending on everything that's going on. I do, I do a, a release about me, uh, about my books mostly and some contests and things like that. But then every other issue of the newsletter is what I call a release report. And I report on all the new books that came out from my favorite authors that particular week actually. And so, so people can get a lot of, of great ideas for, for new books from just reading the newsletter, but they can also keep up with all my stuff. I have a website. It's EliEaston.com, but um, also I'm also on Facebook and I have a Facebook group called something like Eli Easton's Mad Creekers. So that, you know, I post there quite a bit in terms of just like update on my work in progress and, you know, recover reveals and art calls and, and things like that. So if people really want to sort of get more of the, the, the first scoop, that's a good place to go. Great. Well, we will link to all of the social media, all of the websites, all of the books in the show notes. <laughs> so people can just click away to get all this stuff. Thank you both so much. I have enjoyed our conversation and thank you so much for this wonderful series as well. It's just, it's, it's made my spring so far. Oh, thank, oh, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank so you for much. having me on. Appreciate it. Hope you love head to head just as much. Yeah. This episode's transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the conversation for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And don't forget, the show notes page also has links to everything that we've talked about in this episode. And thanks again to Eli and Tara for spending time with us. It's always fun to talk with collaborators to understand how they work together. And for them, it sounded like it really all came together so easily. And so much so that it's been interesting for them to figure out how to return to working on solo projects. And remember, the third book in Nerds vs. Jocks, entitled Head to Head, comes out next week on May 25th. All right. I think that'll do it for now. Coming up on Monday in episode 311, author Hudson Lynn is going to be joining us to talk about her new book, Hard Sell. I had such a great time talking with Lynn. And we'll not only discuss Hard Sell and the new Jade Harbor Capital series, but also a couple of other amazing projects that she's working on, too. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, stay strong, be safe. And above all else, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Our original theme music is composed by Daryl Banner. 